Welcome to the smoke pit. So there is an age-old stereotype about new joints in the military buying vehicles at a high interest rate. However, what we don't talk about enough is service members getting uh, the short end of the stick when it comes to home loans. So although as bad as it is to get a 25% interest rate on a $30,000 car, it would be terrible to pay too much on your interest when you're talking about a $300,000 or $400,000 home loan. So as we are one to do in the smoke pit, we brought a SME, a subject matter expert about the field, uh, Katie Brinson. Would you say hi to everyone? Hey, everybody. And so Katie and I have known each other for uh, a few years now. Uh, we were in a uh, networking group together uh, back when I uh, had my hauling company. And so I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to bring on an expert to talk uh, a little bit about some of the more common mistakes. So Katie, would you uh, would you mind telling our, our listeners about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So I was a banker in the Northern Virginia area and I worked for a bank that had a very small box. And so I got really tired of having to deny people credit that I thought deserved a second chance. And a friend of mine reached out to me a few years ago and said, why don't you do mortgages? And after some exploration, I figured out it was a great way to offer credit to people who I really thought deserved it. Well, that's awesome. So uh, would you would you tell them the, the name of your business? Absolutely. I'm with Atlantic Coast Mortgage, the Katie Brinson Mortgage Team. And we are based in Virginia Beach, but we do business all up and down the East Coast. We specialize in self-employed borrowers, and we do everything from VA loans to your first-time buyer loans. And uh, you guys are also able to uh, to do loans in, in some other states, depending on the laws and the licensing and stuff as well, right? Yes, and we oddly enough have a random license in Oklahoma. <laughs> so uh, that Army-based Lawton out there for those listeners, uh, before you get yourself into financial trouble, uh, reach out to an expert. So we had a uh, prepared list of questions. So we usually uh, shoot a little bit from the hip if you guys can't tell at the smoke pit, but Katie being the consummate professional was just like, all right, are you going to send me like preparatory questions? I was like, oh, yeah, totally. Let me get on that. So we're actually prepared for once on this show. I know that's a, a bit of a shift in the music for us, but here we go. The first question that I that I had lined up is, what advice do you have for people before getting a home loan? Do a budget. You know, so many people operate off of auto debit and they swipe the debit card and they don't know what they actually have in the bank. They don't know what their financial capabilities are. I'm a big fan of just sitting down and putting everything on a simple spreadsheet so you know what you can actually afford and what you're comfortable with. A lot of people are really comfortable paying rent, but when they purchase a home, they forget that they have to set aside money for things like maintenance and extra utilities, things like that. So definitely do a budget. Yeah, there uh, there was a, a a fair fairly long time in my life where every time I swiped that debit card, it was kind of like a roll of the dice. Like, am I getting this hamburger or am I getting embarrassed? Exactly. <laughs> well, and the other thing people don't think about is that, you know, this is an obligation for 30 years. The average loan in America only lasts for eight. But once you own a home, that is a pretty much a lifetime commitment. Yeah. So uh, I the first time that I had bought a house... I was stationed in Quantico. I had just been promoted to uh, Lance Corporal maybe like earlier that year. And I <laughs> I took out a, uh, or I put in a loan application with a bank and they said, okay, we're going to approve you for this much. And I was just like, oh man, that doesn't really seem like a lot. And then I kind of found a, a more of a shifty loaner uh, who gave me a lot more than that. And then so two things happened. One, the housing bubble popped uh, back in like what, 2008? Yep, eight and nine, yeah. Yeah, so I ended up having to sell the house for $100,000 less than I had taken out a loan, but the because I had a VA loan, there was some protection in there. 
And then the uh, the second thing that happened was I found that I was in a little bit over my head because I didn't uh, really take into consideration things like HOA, maintenance, air conditioning repair, uh, termites, inspections and treatments and stuff like that. And so here I was and I actually started to fall a little bit behind on my payments. And so anytime that I got any extra money or tax return, instead of being able to like pay down debt or go on vacation, I was constantly having to, to catch up on my um, my mortgage payments. Yeah, that's a really dangerous spot to be in because it creates something called negative amortization. And what that does is your bank actually calculates what you owe at the end of the day at midnight. Most people don't know that. It's called per diem. So at the end of the day, the computer looks at your balance. It takes your interest rate divided by 365, multiplies it by your balance, and that becomes your interest for the day, and it starts to accrue. So whenever you run late, you wind up owing way more at the end than you think you should. So you get to your last payment, and you think it's $1,200 and they ask you for 10 grand and you're like, what? But on VA loans in particular, you have until the 15th of the month to make your payment. But I tell people never, ever, ever pay past the first because you don't want to get down to your end of the loan and wind up owing a ton of money that you don't know about. Oh, wow. That is great advice. I am a 35-year-old man who uh, did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why we, uh, we brought you on. So is there any other like basic must do before you... Uh, you start thinking about a home loan before we get to the next question. 100% know your credit score. So there are 800 million different kinds of credit algorithms. Some people use Credit Karma. Some people use the score from their bank. A lot of our listeners probably bank with Navy Federal or USAA, and you'll get your credit score from those institutions complimentary. In the mortgage world, we're regulated at the federal level, which means we have to use the same credit model. We use FICO. We use specifically versions 4, five and two. So if you download an app called MyFICO, M-Y-F-I-C-O, it is $34 a month, but through the mortgage process, it will be your best friend. It will give you your actual mortgage credit scores so that before you have your credit pulled by myself or another lender, you know what your scores are and you know what to expect. Damn good advice. Yeah. And I just so everybody <laughs> knows, I do not get paid by MyFICO. I send them hundreds of clients a month. I feel like I should. But yeah. it is legitimately the only place to find your real mortgage scores. Yeah. Legitimately, they probably should send you like a like a case of Jameson or, or what's your poison? Uh, I would love some nice bourbon. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> well, we've uh, we've had plenty of bourbon makers on the show, so I'll have to get a bottle towards Sweet. your way. All right. So the second thing is that a lot of people who are going to different bases um, talk about the possibility of owning a condo while they're there, particularly in some of the larger cities. So what is your take? Are they a good option uh, if somebody's looking to build equity versus how much do they depreciate, kind of things like property taxes, HOA fees? Like, what, what does that look like? So a lot of people like condos because there's this implication that they're maintenance-free. The problem is that you wind up paying for it. So a condo is a great idea, I think, for somebody that's either retired and they're going to stay there forever, or it's you know you're going to sell the place in a few years and it's in a location that has an appreciable value. One of the problems with condos is the condo association fees. There are things that most people don't know about called special assessments. So let's say you're in your condo for two years, you have a clubhouse, you have a swimming pool, life is good, and you open your mailbox one day and you have a letter that says, hey, we've redone our budget and uh, there's a $50,000 problem with the clubhouse. Everybody here has 90 days to write us a check for $800. Surprise. And they can oh, do that. Oh, wow. 
Yep. And if you get behind on your condo dues, they can place a lien on your property. And so then it's a giant mess. So I find that for first-time buyers, condos are often not a great option because those fees wind up adding up very quickly. All right, then. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have to be really financially stable and know what you're doing and have an exit plan. Um, condos also don't make great investment properties because those fees eat into your profitability, which is reduce, reducing your return on equity. That makes sense. So, um, so the idea of like buying a condo while you're stationed somewhere and then once you've been there for three years, moving and then leaving it behind for like Airbnb or as a rental... Um, if it's in a resort area, like in Virginia Beach, or if you're out on the West Coast and you know that you're going to have not a big problem with vacancy, also, you have to ask your association. A lot of associations actually place restrictions on the numbers of condo units that can become investment properties, and you have to get special permission to even do that. And most of the time, they deny it because they think that it makes the community less attractive for people that want to live there full time. Oh, wow. That's good insight. Yeah, I didn't, read th- you didn't your, even think about that. Read the, read the paperwork. So <laughs> most people don't do that, right? They're just like, oh, this no, is pretty. Never. I like this balcony. No, Where do I sign? Yeah. This dude in a, in a fancy looking uniform gave me a keychain. It took me to Red Lobster and had me sign some paperwork. Next thing I know, these guys in funny hats are yelling at me, shaving my head, making me do push-ups. So I was like, man, I thought I was going to Disney. That's not how it works. No, not at all. You got to <laughs> read the fine print. <laughs> all right. Uh, so the next question was... How, um, to lead in from the last one, how does buying a home with the intent to rent it on, uh, to rent it later on, uh, factor into your process? So I always talk to people about their long-term plans and a lot of the military that I work with, this is just a temporary stop on their lifetime journey, but it could be a great opportunity for people to build a portfolio of wealth in America. The number one way to build wealth is through real estate. And the VA loan actually allows room for that. You can have what's called split entitlement. So in January of last year, the VA changed the rules around how VA loans worked. It used to be that the limit was based on the county limit. You know, there was a a formula and your loan amount was based on whatever the government said was the maximum in that area. In January of last year, the government removed those limits. So now if you are a veteran and you qualify and you have full entitlement, you can go buy a million-dollar house and the VA will insure the whole loan. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's kind of cool because it really opened up the horizons for a lot of our veterans that are really financially stable that needed a larger home or live in a more expensive area. So it it really reduced the cap. The way that split entitlement works um, is that you have a worksheet and it is based on those older loan limits. But let's say you're in Hampton Road and you're buying a starter house at $200,000, you can do that and then move out to the West Coast and have remaining entitlement in place and purchase a home there. So you will be limited based on the the area limits, but you can still have more than one VA loan at a time. And I see a lot of veterans do that and they really create some beautiful real estate portfolios. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, the next question would be is, could you use that home as collateral Uh, for, you know, other investment opportunities or loans if somebody is renting it? You can. It has to be conventional. The VA is not going to finance an investment property, but absolutely, you can do a conventional loan on an investment property. You have to have a pretty nice chunk of equity between 25 and 30 percent typically, but absolutely. I have some investors that have paid down their loan balances, and the market, of course, has gone through the roof with equity, and we refinance that, take cash out, and that becomes their down payment on the next place. Okay, so when we uh, we talk about having that equity, so at that point, 
say you take out a loan for $200,000 and you pay $50,000 off of it. Is that what we're looking at? That combined with market appreciation. So across the country, we have a really substantial housing shortage right now, which has pushed values through the roof. And so when you combine debt reduction with market appreciation, there's a huge opportunities for investors to capitalize. Okay. And so with that 25% equity, is that on the sale price or is that after interest? That is actually based on the appraised value. So let's say you buy a house for a hundred grand, but it's worth 150. You're walking in the door with 50K of equity. So equity is always calculated in terms of the market. So it does tend to fluctuate up and down, but you know, the last year or so it's been just going in one direction, which is up. Okay. So uh, what do you wish more people knew before they walked into your office? I wish that they knew more about the mortgage process. A lot of people think, well, I'm just going to give you a pay stub and a W-2 and you're going to give me a loan. It doesn't work that way, particularly because we are so regulated at the government level. We have to verify things. And so when I ask people for all pages of their bank statements, I really mean all pages, even the one at the back that says left intentionally blank. Uh, also that we're all on the same team. Like I'm here to get you into the home where, you know, if we're asking you for something, it's because it's necessary. So I want people to come prepared to give a, a lot of documentation and be transparent. When you go into your mortgage broker's office, I like to equate it to visiting the doctor. Sometimes it can be really uncomfortable and you feel naked and like you're sitting on the crunchy paper. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it can be embarrassing. You know, if you've had speed bumps in your credit, uh, the other thing I want people to know is that we're not there to judge. We have seen everything. In my banking career, one of the things I tell people is I've seen it all. I have a gentleman that's a produce manager at Food Lion who has perfect credit and a ton of money in the bank. And then I have another client that makes $4 million a year that has electric bill collections. So we've literally seen it all. Oh, wow. And there, but there's no judgment. You know, we're not there to judge people and it feels very personal. Yeah. It is personal, but we want it to feel positive. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like if, uh, you know, they give up halfway through the process, then, you know, that that impacts your bottom line because you're talking about the time you dedicated to that, that you're not being fully compensated for, you know, the sale going through. That's also good. So like, okay, I get that. Like you're, you know, sometimes you got to give them a little tough love. Like, hey, you got to get this in order so we can get this across the goal line. Yeah, I had an E3 I had to fuss at last week because he bought a laptop and we had to deny his loan. So he uh, had worked really hard on his credit. He co-signed for a bunch of people and I'll talk about that in a second. But (laughs) we finally got his credit score into a position where he could go out and write an offer and I refreshed his credit and I see this thing from Best Buy and I was like, bro, what did you do? And he was like, oh, they gave me 20% off on my laptop. I was like, can you live in the box? (laughs) <laughs> so now he is going to have to renew the lease at the apartment. Oh, no. So um, transparency with your loan officer is really important. Not making big purchases. It is not the time to buy a car. Please do not celebrate your pre-approval by buying new furniture. Like, you have to be stable. Do you mean just now generally or before you get a lo- before, home loan? Before you get a home loan. Okay, because yeah. I just bought a new car. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was like, oh, good. no, what did no, I do? You, well, you're good unless, you know, you want to buy in the next couple of months. But big purchases need to wait. Yeah, I um, I know that uh, for a lot of entrepreneurs out there, you have to have at least two years of tax returns uh, to qualify for, for a loan as an entrepreneur. Sometimes. So I actually convinced the VA to let me give a veteran who is newly self-employed a loan after eight months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so I will fight with the VA. I've done it before. Um, Catch these hands. <laughs> So I call the field office in Roanoke and I talk to the underwriting department and I explain the situation and and the way that the VA 
handbook is written, it's very gray and it's there's a lot of room for interpretation. So I had a guy that, inconspicuous. Exactly. <laughs> I had a guy that you know, he rolled out a service and started working for a roofing company and he was in sales and he was 10.99. But he had just done an incredible job of building up his savings and he had filed some tax returns with some self-employed income on it. He was it was stable and I was able to really get the ball rolling for him. But in general, yes, if you're coming out and you're starting a new venture, you can expect 12 bare minimum to 24 months of self-employment. And the reason for that is we have to see what those fluctuations look like. You're not on salary. You're carrying overhead. In some cases, you're paying employees. And we have to be able to get a feel for what your real cash flow is because we don't look at the number that you report to the IRS. We have our own worksheet. Okay. So uh, that being said, how does things like uh, disability payment um, and you know, uh, retirement compensation, do, are those things factored into what somebody could apply for? A million percent. And a lot of times they leave that off the application and they're doing themselves a disservice because we can use that income. And in many cases, because it's non-taxable, we can gross it up. So we look at the top line, not the bottom line. And so for somebody that's earning $3,600 a month in disability, we can actually increase that by 25% because they're not paying taxes on it. So they qualify for more. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, does that also include housing stipend from the GI Bill? No, good question. That's temporary income, so we don't include it because it's not going to continue. The only income that we include is income that is likely to continue for the next three years. Child support in particular, if your child is under the age of 15, we can use it. But if they're over the age of 15, we know that it'll phase out during the early years of the mortgage, so we can't use it. So if, I, if you still have three years left of GI Bill benefits, does that count? It doesn't. Unfortunately, we would love it to, but the GI, the GI Bill is temporary unless you're in school forever, but we don't expect that. Yeah, right? so don't uh, come into Katie's office uh, thinking that the GI Bill is going to qualify you for an extra you know, $100,000 worth of a home loan. Right, right. Well, and also at that point, a lot of veterans are in- incurring debt through student loans um, oh, wow. <laughs> outside of the GI Bill, so we have to take that into account. Oh no, baby boy, what is you doing? Yeah, so and that's the other thing. Let's talk about student loans really fast. So yeah, student yeah, loans, the, the VA is really cool about the way they handle student loans. They have the most conservative um, payment calculation, meaning that we use a much lower formula. So with an FHA loan, for example, we have to hit people with like a placeholder payment that's much higher than typically what they're going to pay. Um, you know, in real life. With the VA, we're using a more realistic payment. But people should be aware that if your student loans are in forbearance or deferment outside of COVID, they're accruing interest. So I always tell people, try to tackle those because those will creep up on you when you have a mortgage. Okay. Uh, so are there are there any other uh, unforeseen things that people could use for like income or that might be counted uh, against them? Uh, towards when you're factoring this uh, calculations that you guys have. Yes, so we look at allotments pretty closely and that includes child support and alimony and a lot of times people forget to include that on the application because in their brain it's not income and that's what we should be worried about but it is a form of debt so we definitely look at it. Uh, Also, VA in particular, they use a residual income calculation which is very similar to how we cash flow people who are self-employed and so it's really important to also disclose to your loan office if you pay daycare expense because we factored in like a debt because we know that it's a check that has to be written every month. Okay, so that is uh, fairly good advice. Uh, obviously, very good advice. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, a lot of things I never even thought about. Man, I'm super appreciative that you came on to tell us all these things. 
Do you want to look handsome as fuck? Well, then you should try Combat Comb Over for your hair and your face and your beard. And then once you have all that additional swagger, you need something to carry it around in. Use the Nut Ruck by Arbor Arms. And while you're uh, carrying that nut ruck, you should also remember to keep yourself as fresh as possible because you never know what might happen when you're looking that good. So keep yourself some body powder from Hollywood Powder Company. Use our discount code SMOKEPIT on all of our sponsors to save yourself some money. The uh, the last big question that I had is uh, a lot of veterans, because um, I... Mean, uh, you remember uh, Mike Stedman? I do. I talked to him last week. Actually, he got my son into airsoft at Valahek, which yeah. then he conned me into $800 worth of equipment. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we went into Valahek Tactical, and I was like, all right, buddy, go on a little shopping spree. And I'm looking around. I'm like, all right, it's $20 for BBs. And then he puts all this stuff on the counter, and the guy's like, $800. And I'm like, shit, can I get a free sticker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thanks, Mike. <laughs> yeah, he, um, he used to do um, a admittedly a very bad job at it but he was our executive producer (laughs) and uh, I recently referred him to you because he's thinking about uh, either purchasing a pre-built home or buying land and uh, having a house built on it could you kind of discuss those two things and how absolutely so VA loans in particular are not necessarily construction friendly there's two ways to obtain financing for a new construction home the first way is to find a builder with their own cash flow that means that they're fronting the cost of the build and in many cases they own the land or will buy the land on your behalf that is my favorite form because it means that the client is not paying interest on the draws to the builder and it also puts pressure on the builder to complete things on time and under budget because they're working with their money and not the client's money. Oh, wow. Yes. So I like that right now. Um, building material costs have gone through the roof through co- during COVID. Yeah. Uh, you guys know the price of a two by four is stupid right now. Uh, if you want to take someone, you know, on a hot date to a really expensive place, go to the lumber <laughs> aisle, right? <laughs> um, now, that being said, Futures for lumber have come down 41% since May, but there's still a huge delay in getting stuff. I've had clients that have had to delay their closing because their cabinets and their refrigerator are stuck on a boat. Oh, wow. Yeah. So even trying to use things made in America, which I think is awesome, there are still delays because those components come from overseas. Okay. So just be aware that right now is probably not the best time for new constructions. Also, builders are exercising escalation clauses. Client last week building a home in Richmond came to me. Uh, executed contract price was 450 10% escalation clause. The builder came to her and said, hey, I need to exercise it. We said, how much? They said, all of it. Our new sale price is 495 and she's getting the same house. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's really important to have a conversation with a lender that's educated in new construction. I grew up on construction sites and, you know, all the women in my family work in finance. And so we all know construction inside and out. Uh, down to the point where I will sit with a materials and spec list with my client and go through it and look at the labor cost itemization. So it's really important to know what you're getting and what you're paying for, what the builder expectations are. I think right now with the inflated cost of materials because of COVID, it's probably better to look at pre-built houses. It's like buying a new car. When you look at your appraisal, there's two sections that come up with the, uh, the value of a home. One of them is the land, like the dirt. The other is the dwelling. The dwelling itself appreciates. There's actually a line item adjustment for depreciation on your house because a house built in 1970 and a house built in 2010, which one do you think is going to be worth a little bit more because of the age of the materials? 
Yeah, the newer one. Exactly. But it's like buying a new car. I was prepared for this test. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so we tell people, you know, if you're going to build a home, plan to be there for a while because you are going to go in upside down. And if you're using VA financing, you're going to go in extra upside down because the funding fee is rolled in unless you are disabled and you're exempt from the funding fee. All right. So uh, a lot of us in the military have spent a fair amount of time in uh, in and about Connex boxes. And there's been a, a bit of a a boom in the people who are play- getting Connex boxes and then just dropping them on land. Um, how does that work? It's really hard to get a loan for those. I love them and they're super cool and I'm a big fan of them because I think they're sustainable. But the VA in particular hasn't come out yet with a product or an insurance for those and they're harder to underwrite. So those need more of your traditional financing uh, from the bank. You know, you can go get a lot loan. You have to put down 25%, which is a lot of money. And then you typically have to get a personal loan. Some of those builders have financing agreements with companies like Aquin who finance manufactured homes, but the interest rates are really expensive. Okay. So uh, do you see that things like A-frame homes and Connex boxes and those kind of things, are they more likely to appreciate in value or is the material more likely to depreciate in value compared to a standard home? I think it's, they're going to see a bigger depreciation and part of that has to do with demand because there's not a big demand for those yet. And so the depreciation there is more related to the market than it is on the wear and tear on the materials. All right. Uh, do you have any final thoughts then? I, I, I think we've gone over our, our, uh, our time limit a little bit, but, you know, good information. So I, I don't regret a moment of it. So uh, anything else that you want the listeners to know? Yeah, I think just uh, be open and upfront to all possibilities and go into things with positivity and just be ready to explore all the options and be very educated about things. And uh, Google can be your best friend, but also your worst enemy. It's please, please, last thought, do not watch HGTV while you are purchasing a home. <laughs> oh, man, but it's so good, though. <laughs> yeah, unrealistic expectations, though. Yeah, do you see, did you see the um, uh, House Hunters episode in Chesapeake? I did not. I, I couldn't bring myself to watch it because I was afraid I knew the clients. <laughs> yeah, it, um, it was, it was very, uh, very interesting episode. But uh, where can our listeners find you again? Uh, you can find me at heavymetalmortgages.com. Rock on then. <laughs> and um, is there, there anything else that you'd like to leave us with before we uh, let you get back out there uh, crushing these loans? Thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure to hang out with you. And I hope that this provides some good advice for people. And I'm sure it will. So uh, for all our listeners out there, uh, make sure you check out uh, Katie's website and uh, do yourself a favor and uh, do your research and your due diligence before you take out a you know, several hundred thousand dollar home loan because a few missteps there could mean the difference between being able to afford your kids or your grandkids college education you know, 20, 30 years from now because maybe you paid twenty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 more than you should have. So with that, uh, fair winds, following season, we'll see you next time here in the Smoke Pit.